Looking for beyond ordinary investment opportunities? Global X ETFs is here to help with their suite of thematic income, commodity, and digital asset funds. Explore the range at globalxetfs.com.au. And now, on with the show. How are you now? Broadcasting from the VFS studios in Martin Place in Sydney for some reason. Uh, you are listening to the all-new BIP Show Season 7, Episode 5. Thank you to Global X ETFs for all that they've done. And a reminder that all the financial information in this podcast is general in nature. If you've got any questions, speak to a professional advisor about your needs, or anyone for that matter. Uh, speaking of which, I am James Whelan, Investment Manager at VFS Group. This episode is being recorded. Oh, my goodness. It is 11.38 a.m., Sydney time, daylight time, 24th of February, 2023 AD. It's almost lunchtime on a Friday. The weather is absolutely pitch perfect out there. Now, I've got a fascinating guest for your Bachelor of Science with honours, with honours in Naval Architecture from the United States Naval Academy. We'll get into that one. Uh, Master of Business Administration from Wharton. We go to Wharton. Uh, we get you guys to uh, to do the paperwork. Fantastic. Uh, at University of Penn, Chartered Financial Analyst, Alec uh, has been at Orbis since 2004, uh, Director of Orbis Holdings Limited. He previously worked 10 years at Brandywine Asset Management, LLC, managing the relative value strategy, uh, co-managing the large, large cap value area and co-managing uh, the firm as a member of the executive committee. His alpha rating is through the roof. Now, we'll sort of go into this one. If you're a major league baseball player, imagine that the major league batting average was 300. Your outperformance, apparently, I'm, I'm going to introduce you in a second, so just don't say anything yet. But if, if your outperformance is 40%, apparently, according to this website, uh, so what's 40% on 0.3, 0.12? So if you've got a batting average of 0.42 in the major leagues, that's, uh, that's pretty freaking good. So I reckon that you pay attention to what this guy's got to say. Ladies and gentlemen, Alec Cutler of Orbis Investments, uh, he runs the runs the Global Balanced Strategy. Alec, how are you now? Um, well, I'm just surprised we're talking about baseball in Australia. I've, I've, I played it for 15 years growing up, so oh, I'm a okay. massive, uh, massive fan of it. I, I, I understand that baseball is, uh, is the... Now, <laughs> lifetime average of 40% outperformance, according to this website. Is that correct? Would you... I, I don't know. You don't look it at that? It sounds the... great. It's... Yeah, I don't look. I don't look. I just made that number up. I don't so. look because that, that number can change, and um, I'd rather not jinx it by looking. So um, what's your main – okay, so first off, everyone gets the same question, Alec. Uh, what do you do and how do you make money? I am a uh, dyed-in-the-wool contrarian, have been my whole life, whether I like it or not. And uh, it's good that I live in this era because there were times in history where if you were contrarian, you didn't live long enough to procreate. So um, I'm very happy that I live in this time and era where I can make money by being a little bit different than everybody else. Yeah. Now, uh, where did where did all of that come from, uh, the contrarian investing viewpoint? I, I, I spoke to – so Orbis uh, – let, let, let's sort of talk about where Orbis sort of fits into the into the area of things. So it's a global balanced portfolio. Mm -hmm. So in effect, you're benchmarked against 60-40? Global 60-40, that's right. Yeah. Now, 60-40 had, had the worst year on record last year. Yes. Where do you see that? This year, I've got to ask you straight up because I, I've been on the record saying that this this is going to be a great year for sixty forty. Okay, 
Maybe it will be. Okay. We, um, so to say last year was last year wound up being a great year for us because we didn't hold any fixed income. We didn't hold any growth stocks. Uh, and to say that um, we anticipated that well, we anticipated that so well, we moved out of those positions in 2017, 18. So you don't get, um, you don't get 25% alpha in 2022 without negative alpha in 2021. Yep. Um, where it's going to go now, who knows? But, my uh, my gut would say that if the Fed thinks that they're going to get interest rates down back down to two percent and inflation back down to two percent, they're dreaming. They uh, the Fed chairman reminds me of my father yelling at the TV, hoping to change the score of a baseball game. <laughs> it's not going to happen. Okay, so so what is what is actually your view for for bonds? I mean, stick with it. We've got an inverted yield curve, mm. and so, so let's just stick with the two tens. Hi, Martin Wetton and Kitlow, if you're listening as well. I did talk about the yield curve. There you go. I win a prize. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> These guys run circles around me on uh, when we're talking about bond pricing. Mm-hmm. We have a yield curve that screams recession. Mm. We have a Bank of America fund manager survey that saw a, a colossal pivot in the fund manager outlook from what we're, we're, whether the U.S. sees a recession in the next 12 months, mm-hmm. went from about 70% down to about 30% mm-hmm. of fund managers that, th- that think that there's going to be a recession ahead. Do you think that there's going to be, what, what's your landing outlook? Everyone's got a landing, you know, that old, that old question. What's your yeah, landing? Sure. Hard landing, soft landing, no landing? A landing. Maybe maybe hard, <laughs> maybe soft, but if you we, gotta, you, yeah, come we, okay, I'll get, yeah, I'll get yeah, it. Yeah, I'll get it, yeah. The, um, we're not really dyed-in-the-wool uh, macro guys. If we have any macro theory at all, it's that nothing will happen if it's anticipated. So back when seventy percent of the uh, of the money managers thought we were going to have a recession, we kind of weren't going to have a recession. Yeah. Now that thirty, now we can have one. And as you say, the yield curve's inverted. All the other stuff says we're going to have one. Wouldn't be surprised if we have a recession. Don't know if it's going to be mild or hard. It probably depends on where you are in the economy. Uh, this summer, this coming summer, probably in the U.S. You think that it's it's a possibility? Yeah, and then the, but we're in a global world, so China's coming out of a massive man-made recession. That's the second biggest economy in the world. What kind of impact is that going to have? If we were, if you look at where we're positioned in the portfolio, we're more positioned for a, a recession in the U.S. and how maybe are, maybe not a recession in Europe and Asia. How are you positioned at the moment? I saw I I I've had a look through the holdings, but yeah, so us. very very underweight. The U.S. The U.S. Yeah. is the most expensive market in the world on a PE basis and uh, and uh, profit margins are 40% higher than they ever were in history. Yep. So the U.S. looks very scary and very unprepared for anything like a recession. Your, uh, Europe has had a pasting. It's been destroyed. Sure uh, UK has been destroyed. UK was the weakest market in the world probably for a decade. China uh, has had its had its licks. The uh, Japan's been weak. UK's been... Or, Korea has been weak. Australia has been weak. So that's where we are. Yeah. So uh, underway. Now, I, I had a look at your latest note, and I'll put this on the website, anyone who wants to have a look, that what was it the US market represented 50% of global, was it 50% of global uh, global stocks or valuation, I think it was, and now it's 70%? Yeah. I, I mean, if, yeah. That's right. So that, that and, and that being a, a key a, a key reason why it is that you're underweight, do you think it's going to pull back? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. There was a time when Japan was 40%. That didn't make much sense either. And okay. when and when Japan was 40% or when the U.S. was 67%, which is where I think it is today, the perception is that's the only place to invest. And that's when you run. Yep. 
Yeah. Uh, okay. So pull back. So Europe is a potential. China is a potential as well. Mm. What? Um, I actually don't have your holdings up in front of me. Um, you've got gold as your as your biggest holding. Mm-hmm. What's your view on gold? Have to, a, 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 anyone who holds gold? Because I'm I'm a gold bag holder uh, from way back. Uh, what's your view on gold? I didn't own gold until 2018 when it got super cheap. Yep. And uh, and the gold miners got super cheap. But gold has in in a multi asset portfolio, gold has morphed for us into more of an anti currency play. Because the governments around the world, led by the United States, have just been printing money like crazy. Yep. Ten trillion dollars in the in the US. People have lost the concept of what a trillion is. Ten trillion is a lot. Trillion here, trillion there. Yeah. Next thing you know, you got some real money. Yeah. Yeah. A trillion seconds ago was thirty thousand BC. <laughs> that's how I try to that is put a good, some perspective. That is, that is on a good it. way of putting it, Alec. That's fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, and that's uh that's gonna end in tears at some point. And the only hard asset, the only hard currency is gold. People can say it's crypto, but my response to that is that gold was the first crypto and it was issued by God. I'll take that over crypto. Fantastic. Uh, okay, so let's get back into it. We've talked about the yield curve. We've talked about gold, so we've, we've hit all the touch points there. So the contrarian side of things, um, going through, so so anyone who's investing in Orbis in this balanced fund, uh, you've got to have an outlook that's longer than three years. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's got to be long-term. It's got to be contrarian. What's your what's your thirty year outlook? There you go. I'm just going to go off the cuff on this one. I didn't have anything written down on this one. Where are we in thirty years? Uh, let me let me go twenty years. Go on. I'll go twenty years, and I would I would say the next twenty years. It's highly likely we're in a protracted Cold War. Really? I want to talk geopolitically? Yep. We had a Cold War until 1982, and then we had the quote unquote peace dividend until about a year ago. Probably much further than a year ago, but that's when people realize that we're, we actually have that global conflict is a thing that can happen. You're seeing the, uh, the world bifurcate back into East and West blocks. Yep. Australia has, has hitched their wagon to the West. We've got those subs. We've got to build those subs. You'll have those subs in what? 25 years. You'll have some nice nuclear. Australians subs. don't want subs. They want the idea of subs. It's, <laughs> it's fantastic. It's, it's, it's just wonderful. Well, for better or for worse, Australia is on the on the West team. Yep. Even though you're sitting in the East, and uh, but India, who knows which way that's going to go? South Africa looks like they're leaning towards the towards the East. The real smart countries just stay in the middle and get money from both. Yeah. But um, we are seems pretty certain that we're we're headed away from all the wonderful things that globalization and the peace dividend gave us, and we're heading back towards a more inflationary period that has. The new term friend shoring happening and uh, and and defense spending rising, which is which is very counterproductive to an economy, but great for defense stocks. Yep. Um, so that's probably the, the thing that I would have the, the most confidence in. Do you think that globalization, because this was a bit of a hot topic uh, during COVID for sure, when supply chains just seized up because it turns out that if the guy who's delivering your pencils from Alabama can't get there, then it turns out that you can't get your plastic boobs to Georgia. Mm-hmm. Is globalization, well, the, the way that you're sort of putting it, is it globalization is dead or is it split? What, what are you saying? Globalization is going to turn into friend shoring. So that may be an East versus West thing. Yep. But it uh, it's also a national security thing. So energy now energy went from being this evil thing to being a, a national security issue. Supply chains are going to become the are becoming the same thing. So it may not mean that you move all your factories to Alabama. But it could be you move your factories to Mexico and uh, in the UK if you're an American. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned energy as well, and I wanted to get to energy 
energy stocks over the next okay so you're a holder you're long energy i think we're 10 percent overweight 10 yeah. percent overweight in energy i am also overweight energy um annoyingly i probably haven't held as long as as you have but i i've got a i've got a positive outlook over the next three to five years mm-hmm. i don't have an outlook that, as long as yours uh but what's okay energy go we've underinvested in energy yep uh energy security has become a thing we the, as a as a as a as a world as a population. Yeah, yeah, as a as a planet. Yeah. Um this whole notion of the the ESG uh global warming magic wand where we can just declare that all energy producers are evil and uh ignore them and do away with them and have an energy transition that happens like that. I'm clicking my fingers. Yep. Uh that's going away and we're gonna go into, I hope, some sort of ESG or global warming two point where we recognize that if you are gonna have an energy transition you certainly need natural gas and you need nuclear. And we're going to use a hell of a lot of oil still for the next 20 years. Yeah. yeah, yeah go into uh, Chinese oil usage. Is there any? It dropped by 300, it dropped by $3 million, 3 million barrels a day um, on their man-made lockdown. And now it's, uh, it's picked back up to, it's added 700,000 uh, barrels a day. And that should fully repair to 3 million barrels a day at some point in the near future. It should get back to that, yeah. At the same time, uh, Russia, Russia's ability to supply is dropping. They claim that they're just getting back at Europe. However, the Russians have never, ever cut supply in the middle of the winter. I'm going to let you finish. Uh, take a break from vanilla ETFs. Discover Global X's innovative funds and industry-leading research to back your investment ideas. Learn more at www.globalxetfs.com.au. Now, back to Alec with the Russian oil situation. Really bad things happen to your oil fields when you stop them operating in the middle of the winter. Go on. Things freeze. Yep. They, my supposition is they have no choice because all the Western technologies left a year ago. So now they're starting to run these fields in a, in a manner that's not, that's not being run professionally. And they're starting to break down. Okay, so uh, what sort of timeline have you got on this one? Go, go, go yeah, into it. I, go into it. I don't hold back. Don't hold back. <laughs> I thought it would. I thought it would have happened sooner, but you do start to see the stress stuff happen in, in the in the winter. Mm-hmm. But basically, you know, Russia for fifty years ran the Ural fields, which were super bountiful. Sort of think think Saudi Arabia on steroids, just oil popping out of the ground when you put a straw in. Yeah, those fields are almost done. So they had to bring in Schlumberger, Halliburton, Baker Hughes, Shell, BP, Exxon, Chevron to come in and bring their expertise in to run fields that weren't like that. Those guys have now all left. So the, the Euro, they were forced to leave. Yeah. Uh, uh, Schlumberger is still there because they're run by the French. Hi, um, Europe. <laughs> Sorry, the, God. The, uh, but those fields, those fields need to be run by experts. So they, the prolific fields are dying out and the non-prolific fields take a lot of technology, a lot of energy to get the energy out and that energy and that expertise is pulled back. So you should see a natural decline in the production uh, in Russia. Okay, okay. So then that would obviously uh, put a floor or some sort of a floor under under the oil price and energy stocks should do not so bad. Not so bad. I'm a, I'm a big fan of positive reinforcement. I can come and sit here and, and listen to this sort of conversation. Tell me about the other holdings. Uh, so there's something that I talked to Simon Mawini about, Alan Gray, local guy, uh, that the difference between cheap stocks and expensive stocks mm. is that that spread is big. Do you want to go into how you see that spread between cheap and expensive? Well, in, So in the U.S. context where we get the best information, that spread is as wide as it's ever been. The PE spread. 
Yep. At the same time, the margin gradient is also as wide as it's been. So the most expensive stocks have the have the highest margin. The least expensive stocks tend to have the lowest margin. That should be the opposite. You know, when you're over earning, you should have a low multiple. Yeah. But the way things ran for the last 14 years in this, uh, you know, high ROIC only stock picking world, we got extreme plus extreme, so a compounding. We are we are very rarely now looking at investment ideas that don't have single digit PE multiples. That that gradient is so wide. We are now running the balance fund I run. The equity portion is now deeper value than what I used to run at Brandywine, which was a deep value shop. Yeah. So how do you, how do you see? Okay, let's go straight into it. And so getting back to really basic sort of stuff, how do you seek out the value? What's the process that you guys have got? I, 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 sorry, uh, part of this podcast, I like to go through the process, how you get to where you get to, and then we're going to talk about how you got to where you got to as well. Okay. So line yourself up for that. Sure. But first off, how do you how do you pick them out? What's your uh, Top down, bottom up, sideways, whatever. Okay. It's all bottom up. Yep. We have 50, 60 analysts uh, positioned around the world. They're coming up with their own ideas, generated however they generate them. And then we have a very um, very regimented um, research process with a phase one bit of research that takes two hours. And then if it makes it through that hurdle, we go to a phase two, which is a bit longer than a phase three. Phase three could take months, could take weeks, involves talking to management, and if it makes it past that, we go to what's called a policy group meeting. And that's where the portfolio managers would get involved. And it's really a thesis type um, painful process for the analysts, let's just say. Yeah, you got it. So uh, I love the process of this. Having worked in, in a shop like this a while where you actually got to get out there and actually stand in front of a firing squad. Mm-hmm. How, how brutal is it? Um, depends on the individual and depends how well they prepared. Yeah. So if you prepared well and you know your stuff, it's not so bad. What? Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. It's, it, it's, it's constructive criticism on the way back. Though, yes. Like, so. Yes. And it's, you know, we're all, it's collegial. Yeah. So it's not a in your face. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. Rarely that, it's in your face. The bravado, the bravado thing, the ego thing really annoys me sometimes when you're pitching a stock or when you're pitching an idea that, that someone's ego is, overshining is, is, is taking over the room yeah. as opposed to it being let's talk about this actual idea and where you've come to it and, and it's not that constructive yeah it's one of the one of the key things that i really hate about this industry and well, there's, there's a few things so how do you how do you get rid of that ego well we, we do commit to parking our egos at the door yeah. we actually do a little bit of work recognizing that we do have egos and how to do that and uh at the end of the day we're fact-based we're we're all of it spectrumy and uh, we, we're much more comfortable with facts and figures than we are about opinion. That is true. That is true. Okay, so now you, where did you cut your teeth? Go through your history. Sure. How did you? How did you become the contrarian investor that you are? There's a set of questions. I, I, there's. I am certain that you'll never run into anyone with my background, but I, I learned how to invest from my grandmother. She owned a seat on the New York Stock Exchange. <laughs> Go on. My grandfather owned a seat on the stock exchange, and when he died. Uh, his partners at Rothschild went to my grandmother and said, you'll sell Charlie's seat to the firm. And she said, what's the price? Yeah. And they said, what the price? What do you mean? What's the price? You're going to sell a woman doesn't hold a seat on the New York stock exchange. And, and she said, well, one does now. And she held that seat for another 13, 14 years until she got a decent price for it. And yeah. She sold. She was right now. I would put her on our team. 
the things that she taught me, the basics of investing, dividend, dividend growth, quality of management, balance sheets, really basic stuff is is time immemorial. You don't it doesn't get old. That's how we that's how we largely run at Orbis. We yeah. use the Lucinda Solzbacher approach to investing. Go, well, go, go into that. Sorry, keep it really simple. I, I don't have to keep it simple. It just it, it is simple. We look for good companies when they're temporarily out of favor. And we look for corks that are held under the water. If you let them go, they pop up to some sort of normal. Do you have a watch list at the moment? I, I, I want to leave our listeners with a little taste of something that you might have on your watch list that you might be looking at uh, to, to come down. Sure. One of your analysts wants to come out and just like, it's not now, but it's soon. Okay. What's your soon? Do you have any soon list? We have a fallen angel list. Go on. So all the popular names that everyone owned over the last 10, 15 years, we have them up on a whiteboard. Yeah. And we're constantly cross putting X's through them as we realize that many of those businesses weren't really businesses. <laughs> some are lasting. Well, I, do you want to name some names? You, that we've crossed out? Yeah. Oh, geez. Don't say No, out of sight, out of mind. Okay. Okay. <laughs> but things that are still on the board, something like uh, um, we keep looking at Netflix, trying to figure out whether that business model is, is permanently challenged or not. Um, we've had Palantir. We've, yeah. Palantir is yeah, a, a, a name that just popped again because people think it's AI. It's really a consulting company with an AI marketing engine. Yeah. Uh, but it is a, they do produce effective results. So that's something that we, we keep an eye on. Nintendo we're working on, which has fallen from grace. Uh, recently, we started a position in a firm called Generac, which was a very popular COVID name. I don't really know why. They make generators, yep. you know, fortress home type thing. And people yep. wanted generators to, to work from home. Yep. Um, that is, we think that has incredible blue sky potential yep. in that the, the grids in the Western world, I don't know about Australia. Underfunded. Underfunded for decades. Yeah. I mean, the, the high voltage lines in the U.S. were put in, a lot of them were put in during the make work projects following the depression. They're 80, 90 years old, design life of 40 years, made of copper and aluminum that become embrittled the more electricity goes through them. They all need to be replaced. They're not replaced because they cost trillions of dollars to replace. And no politician wants to put his hand up and said, I want to spend trillions of dollars on this thing that's not sexy. So what do you do? You buy a generator. Everyone needs a what is it a UPC? Uh, was it UPC? Oops, uh, yeah, yeah. That uh, well, these, these are these are natural gas UPS, and propane yeah. generators. Oh, okay, right, yeah. So yeah. and they just kick in. They just yeah. they kick in. the The technology behind them is awesome. It's flawless. The only time you know that your generator is on is you might hear that whir as your generator kicks in. It's just same as the air conditioning that we've just had here. Yeah, it's about the the decibel level is about air conditioning level. Uh, uh, what else? Anything else on the list? Oh, uh, let's see. Uh, not really fallen angels, but we're spending a lot of time in defense. Yep. Well, defense spending is going higher. Yes. Uh, Europe can't sit around with defense spending at 1.3% of GDP anymore. Cold War, they were spending 4.5% of GDP. It's going to go somewhere somewhere higher than one. They've committed to two in Europe. The U.S. has been at four and a half, which is low for the U.S. And defense spending doesn't take much when you're talking about percentage of GDP to move move the dial on those stocks. And in particular, there are some countries that really want to break into this club of defense exporters, India and Korea in particular. Yes. yes. So we're looking for names in India and Korea that um, can benefit greatly through defense spending. Very good. Very good indeed. Uh, uh, there's a, a point that hit me, and not to get too controversial, but 
I think that the US, something came up with how much the US is selling or the, uh, an arms deal to Poland that, mm-hmm. they just, that they just put together. Mm-hmm. I think that there is now more to be, this is kind of, I'm, I'm going to hate saying this, I might edit it out later, but I think that there's, there's more to be gained from prolonging this war than in ending it tomorrow. Yep, there are certainly um, parts of the world that will benefit from that. I, I, my personal opinion is I don't think that's what's driving. I don't think the military-industrial complex is making a big comeback here. Um, <laughs> that's where the, I was going. <laughs> okay. But the, the fact is that the countries have underspent. And if you think about what stimulates defense spending, it's when your neighbor spends. And all these countries are connected. So if India spends more, you've got all the countries around India that will need to spend more. It's just a, it's just a bit of human nature. We like to be secure. Yeah. And... Russia invading Ukraine was just a shot across the bow for everyone that this is still possible. It sure was. Uh, look, that's all that we've got time for today. Uh, Alec, if, if there's anything that you want to throw in now. No, it's great. Go Thank on. you. All this, uh, you can get involved with it. It's a standard fund uh, that you can subscribe to the way that you would usually subscribe to any sort of fund. Uh, put in an application and uh, they'll accept your money. You're accepting retail money? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that was it. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Alec Cutler, all the way from Bermuda. Wait, Bermuda? Bermuda. Yeah, Hamilton in Bermuda. The yes. other Hamilton. Yeah, the other Hamilton. Uh, what's it like over there? It's absolutely gorgeous. Yeah. All I ever say is 75 and sunny. I'm oh. usually right. What, is that, what does that convert to? 30 something here. Beautiful. Yeah, just sensational weather. Uh, it's like Queensland, I suppose. Uh, but, Come visit. Oh. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we'll do we'll do this we'll do this again from over there. All right. uh, Alec Cutler heading up the Global Balanced Investment. We're calling it a fund, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. Global uh, with Orbis. Thank you very much, Alec Cutler. Thank you very much. You can find us on iTunes at the Bip Show or wherever you get your podcasts. We're on Twitter at the underscore Bip underscore Show, and we're on Facebook too. Just search for the Bip Show. I've got a website. Just Google Whelan Capital. It's got all of the links and all of the documents that you want to know. Individually, I am at James Whelan forty two on Twitter. The show is produced by whoever I could find on the day. Thank you very much. We'll catch you next time. This episode might be over, but your ETF investing journey with Global X is only just beginning. The expert team at Global X ETFs is ready to support your goals with their wide suite of ETFs. For the latest updates, follow Global X ETFs on LinkedIn and Twitter at Global X ETFs Australia.